freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode number 273 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme is, what is training? And our guest is David Laird. David is the owner of Dynamic Competitive Solutions, LLC. He is a husband of 20 years, a father of seven. I'm tired. <laughs> Grandfather, one and a half. And David currently holds black belts. And here we go. Taekwondo, Modakwan Tang Sodu, Tai Chi. Akito. Akita, Akito. And has studied various other styles. He is a 10th generation Army serving with the 82nd Airborne, Airborne Division in the infantry. Wow, thank you for your service, David. He is also an NRA training cons, uh, counselor. He is an NRA carry guard instructor and is an active self-protection certified instructor. And David is an avid supporter of the Second Amendment. Welcome to the show, David. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm Absolutely. sorry about all that uh, <laughs> stuff in there, David, but, um, you know, I... I don't, I don't know. <laughs> anyway. how, how much did he butcher your previous training? Uh, he did fine. He did fine. Fantastic. So explain those to us, David. Yeah. What, are, what are those? Give us a clue. Well, Taekwondo is where I originally started when I was about 10 years old. I got my first degree black belt when I was 12 years old. And then I uh, got my second degree black belt when I was 14. And my third degree black belt when I was 16. They had to make an, ex an exception for me. I started uh, teaching when I was 12. So I kind of had a passion oh, wow. for teaching. Mainly, I just spent a lot of time hanging around the dojo. So they're like, well, Dave, if you're going to be here all the time, uh, why don't you get the class started? And so that sort of led to some other stuff. Uh, but Taekwondo is uh, South Korean kickboxing. Mudokwan Tengsudo is a Chinese way of the fist for North Korea. Aikido is a uh, Japanese uh, samurai style. And Tai Chi is what I think is one of the oldest martial arts. And that uh, also comes from China. Uh, but I've studied uh, some Krav Maga and Jiu Jitsu and uh, several other styles, uh, but just kind of dabbled in those styles. And uh, as far as shooting goes, that's just always been kind of a family thing because of our generational army uh, heritage. I've got uh, two sons currently serving in the army and I've got one more who probably will go uh, as soon as he finishes high school. Wow, that's incredible. I know when I read that 10th generation like, how, where does that even take us back to, like, the formation of our nation? No, actually, before that. So my mother's side of the family is Fraser, Wilson, and Frew. They came over on the Mayflower. They settled in northern Pennsylvania. My father's side of the family settled in uh, South Carolina in 1630. So we fought in the French and Indian Wars. Um, both sides, 
came from Scotland. So there's actually a Laird, Scotland, which is a town in, in Scotland. So we're uh, all 100% Scottish, but I married an Italian German woman. Uh, so she, <laughs> she brings a lot of flavor to the family. Awesome. That's fantastic. Um, I think we can see uh, in, if you hold up, is, is it here that you have the, the feathers uh, tattoo oh, or yeah. is it farther up on your arm? Yeah. And, so that's, uh, I was asking you one day what that was about. So that's our Beautiful. Scottish. Um, so that's the Phoenix rising up out of the ashes and that's uh, centered on a belt buckle and around Around it is the inscription duty on her country. So the three feathers represents the chieftain of our clan. And so myself and my oldest boys all have it uh, to show that we're all part of the same, same clan. So it's something that they, they earn when they turn 18 and they're all quite proud of it. And uh, it's just a reminder of, uh, to us, you know, obviously your duty to, to God, your duty to family um, your own honor is something that you give yourself. It's not something anyone can take away from you. And obviously, uh, you know, service to your country, uh, because if you're not here to improve things and, you know, why are you here? That's awesome. I just absolutely love that. And, and that you, you really are a family oriented guy. And I, I think that that is just so so beautiful and unfortunately lacking, I think, in our, our current generation. And so you can really inspire people um, through the work that you do just with your, your own family and with your training. And what I was hearing as you were ticking off all those um, different kinds of training that you've had, the Taekwondo and the, the Tai Chi and the Keto, all of that, what I hear in that is discipline. There is, there's a discipline to um, interacting with these um, disciplines, these trainings, and, and then with the world at large. And so as I've titled this show, I want you to answer the question to you, what is training? So training is a noticeable change in behavior, and that has to come from an outside entity. Uh, when you're at home and you're redoing the, sa the same things that you already know, that's not necessarily training because you're not learning a new task. Um, so in other words, when you're learning the alphabet and you go to school and you start writing your cursive letters and you're tracing over other letters so that you learn how to write cursive, uh, you're teaching yourself what it is that they want you to learn. They've sort of given you a diagram so you, you can sort of repeat the behavior. But we all know that not everybody's cursive looks the same. Uh, even though we all traced the same letters, when we turn in our assignment, everybody's got different handwriting, okay? So we do our best, and I'll tell you, there's some people out there that actually perform better. You know, here's the example, and then they have this beautiful cursive, and then there's other people that are like, yeah, this is kind of sketch, and, you know, I'm the squiggly line guy. I'm the one that <laughs> colors outside the box. Um, so that being said, we want to try and help each person achieve their best at at, at whatever it is that they're trying to learn. So you have to be flexible. And we've worked a lot with people who have uh, handicaps. Uh, so I can't expect somebody who's missing fingers to perform the same tasks or necessarily perform at the same level as everybody else. But I, I do understand what's necessary for them to be successful. And it also depends greatly on what their task is. Um, somebody who's retired is gonna 
have different goals and objectives than somebody who wants to enlist in the military who's 18 and somebody who's serving in law enforcement is going to have different goals and objectives than a security guard, et cetera. So in one class, you can have a whole plethora of these different things, but we still have the same task that we're trying to learn. We're all trying to learn cursive. So, but we have to be flexible about uh, the individual goals of every individual student. Hmm. I love that analogy. Um, and, and it's, I'd never really thought about that before, but you're right. We all start out with the exact same shapes. We're getting, being graded on the same, you know, and then we kind of make it our own. And, uh, but that's, that is awesome. So a noticeable change in behavior is a, a way to think about what is training. Now, this document that I point to, I think almost every single show, you know, this big, huge, thick document that takes about a whole hour to read called our constitution and bill of rights. Uh, what, if anything, does our constitution say about training? Well, that's two books in one. Um, mm -hmm. that, that document was framed using the Bible. Uh, and so personally, I think that everybody needs to read the Bible so they can understand the framework of the Constitution, because that's where we get these inalienable rights. In other words, these are things that you're naturally born with that nobody gets to take away. And there's plenty of scripture that backs up self-defense, that it's your job to protect your fellow man, um, that you have a duty, a, a duty to protect your family and your fellow man. Um, so anybody, in my personal opinion, who doesn't believe in self-defense is starting off on the wrong foot to begin with. Uh, you first have to decide that I have the right to tell other people no to certain things and that there's nothing you can do about it. I don't care what uh, law you pass. I don't care what your personal feelings are. There is a, there's a red line you're never going to cross with me and we'll share words if it comes to that. You know, somebody walks up to you on the street and says, give me your wallet. You got two options. Give them your wallet avoid the confrontation or you tell them to pound sand. Now, maybe not everybody is comfortable specifically with firearms. That's fine. But I don't think everybody here is comfortable just giving away their wallet anytime somebody <coughs> asks. So that right away, I think, is the mental framework that you need first, that you have a right to tell people no to certain things. And I'm, I'm real passionate about that when it comes to young ladies, when men cross their boundaries and they want to be able to tell that person no. I've raised all my daughters to have a strong voice. And my son gets upset with me. He did it last night. He's like, dude, why do you always let your daughter talk back to you? And I said, because I want her to be a feisty person. And I want her to know she can always tell a man no. We're pretty hard on my boys because I want them to learn to be disciplined and to listen because their wives are going to test their patience. Uh, <laughs> their wives are going to test their patience. Yeah, I mean, yes, uh, spoken, spoken truthfully. <laughs> so that that framework is what brings us to obviously the First Amendment, which says that you know you have a right of you have the, the right of free speech. You have a voice. You get to tell people no. Mm -hmm. That one's super important because that's that's the first step. The second step is the authorization of that of <coughs> no. That is the the power and backup that's given to you and granted to you by God to tell people no. Mm -hmm. now, it says a well-regulated militia. That's the first phrase of the Second Amendment. And well-regulated means well-trained. And so mm -hmm. a well-regulated militia being necessary to the free state. Mm -hmm. uh, people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So if you're going to bear arms, you need to be well-regulated, which means mm -hmm. well-trained. 
so whether it's for personal defense or because you're afraid of a tyrannical government, it's not enough that you own all the fancy tools and equipment and you march around and parade around. You need to be proficient with your tools uh, and years and years of, of practice and, and training. And if training is looking for a new learned behavior or a perfection of a behavior, then you need to see multiple instructors and you need to see um, go to multiple different training organizations because you're going to see different levels of experience, not just with their handling of self-defense or their teaching methods, but their personalities and the overall goals that you're achieving from taking that class. So you want to make sure that there is a goal to the class, that there's a measurement of your performance when you arrive, that there's a measurement of your performance when you leave, so you can see a noticeable change. If you shoot just as well when you leave as when you showed up, then what did you learn and what did you really get trained? So it bothers me when I go to a range and I see people just slinging lead at paper um, and they call that training. Well, I, I train all the time. No, that's practice because practice is repeating what it is you already know. And you can be, you can be dumb and drive your car like crap. Uh, and just because you've been driving for plenty, you know, 20, 30 years doesn't mean you're ready to, to run in a NASCAR race. And I would definitely say that, you know, when we're teaching our kids how to drive, you know, we're very slow, very methodical about letting them drive during certain times, only a certain amount, only in certain areas at certain speeds, long before we ever let them hit the freeway. Uh, we don't just throw the keys at them and say, okay, you're ready for NASCAR. Uh, and a, a fight for your life, like when it really, really matters, is like driving in NASCAR. Mm. Just traveling at 200 something miles an hour and you're getting glimpses of images and you know it requires uh, a lot of training to keep your brain focused. And those drivers are so in tune with their tools and gear. They're not looking down to gear shift. You know, they're, they're not thinking about what their hands are doing. Like their feet and hands and, and everything are moving so quickly. It's completely in tune and allows them to fully concentrate on the view of what's going on in the road in front of them. They have to be aware spatially of all the other cars around them and know where they are at all times they, because they're so in tune with winning that particular race. And your fight's gonna be very much the same way. You get distracted for an instant and you're gonna be spinning out and in the curb. Wow, very well said. And I have had the honor, honestly, of training with you for an afternoon and uh, it was a wonderful experience. And you had students out there of varying uh, degrees of proficiency, um, I had brought out a firearm that I hadn't even fired before and I just kept struggling and struggling. And then finally you were able to help me realize that I was using sites that were not properly aligned. And I even struggled with that because I'm like, it is a poor musician that wants to blame their instrument. Right. But you were so, uh, you were very patient and you, you just had a professionalism about yourself and you helped me, you know, not, not get stuck on that and just say, well, it is what it is. And here's what we can do to correct it right on the spot. And it just gave me a sense of, of accomplishment and proficiency by the end of the day. It was wonderful. And I appreciate it. Well, it was wonderful having you and you actually performed really, really well. So all the viewers should know that Cheryl can handle a firearm. Um, and you were consistently in the exact same spot. So I, I, I recognized that something had to be going on. Um, and, you know, I test fired it, which that's really important for, uh, for everybody to do is, uh, you know, functions check and, and make, verify your sites, all that sort of stuff, because 
we run into that sort of thing all the time in our classes. And that's one of the reasons why we go through everybody's firearms tools and equipment at the beginning of class. Uh, and then we still find things like sites that might be off in the middle of class. Uh, but at least we got all that figured out. And that's another great part about training is you get an opportunity to test all your tools and equipment. You know, we think that a holster is going to be good for us. And then we try to use it in the class and we find that it, it, it doesn't work for what we want to do. Or we, we bring a pistol to class because, you know, that's what we intend to carry. And then we find out that it's not going to work for, for what it is that we want to do. Uh, one of my big frustrations is when we do like our EDC class, that's our everyday carry class, is a lot of folks bring their full-size firearm and their chest rig and, and all that sort of stuff. And, I'm, and I ask them, is that what you carry every day? And they're like, oh, no, I carry a P365. I'm like, well, then why did you bring the chest rig and the big gun and all that sort of stuff since this is an everyday carry class? Uh, so we need to make sure that when we are going to go do our training, that we try to train in the environment we're planning to actually work in. So if you're law enforcement, bring the chest rig. If you're military, bring the chest rig. But if you're a civilian, then, you know, come out in your skirt, mm -hmm. that, that pocket pistol or whatever it is, so we can truly test your methods. And then it's not for me to decide. I'm not going to tell you that your gun doesn't work or your holster doesn't work, or your outfit doesn't work. I want you to discover that. So, because then you'll hold that as a self-truth and then you'll make the adjustments you need for yourself. And then I won't be the bad guy that made you feel bad. Yeah, it's kind of a reminder for the 8 million uh, brand new gun users out there today or this, this year that uh, when you buy a gun from a gun shop, doesn't mean it's necessarily ready to go, right? Well, there's a million avenues we can go down with this because when you're, when you're new to all this, this is the most frustrating thing for me as a trainer is the first thing everybody does is buy a gun. But which gun did you get? The one the guy go, gave me. Well, why did you get it? Because he said it was good. It's like, hold on a second. We don't know if it fits your hand. We don't know if it fits your lifestyle. We don't know. I mean, you haven't even shot a gun before. I mean, you bought the gun first. And I like to tell folks to, you know, take some classes first, learn more about firearms, go and shoot with some friends and try out some various different styles. There's lots of ranges that'll let you rent guns. Try some of those and see if you, if you like any of those and why you like it so you can make an educated decision and get the gun you want, not the one that's available. Cause we also saw a big shortage of firearms. And so, well, we don't have, but we're here, well, let's give you this one, um, which completely operates. Um, so there's, there's a whole ball of wax with that, but that's the most, amazing thing because uh you know typically we drive someone's car before we buy our own uh but guns is the only market where you go out and buy the gun first then the ammunition yeah. and then learn about it um and the last thing i think on everyone's list is a cleaning kit and a gun safe <laughs> right but what did we see dan in this this crazy COVID year that we just went through with the huge buying we actually sold more safes yeah. than we ever have we before. Sold out of, we sold out of safes, which the year before we couldn't sell a mm -hmm. single safe. So, you know, and David, I, I agree with what you're saying. Um, some gun shops will sell you anything that they have behind the counter. And then there are other gun shops that will try to encourage you. We've encouraged people not to buy a gun today. Mm -hmm. Look around, go out, even though, cause we don't have a range. We tell them to go to our competitions and try again at a range and then hopefully come back for our service and, and we, what we do, you know. But you guys, you guys are the exception to the rule. AZ Firearms, one of the reasons why I enjoy you guys and love you guys so much is because 
um, you really do kind of hand walk the customer through thoughts. You have them, you, you get them thinking when they come in, when they're asking for stuff, you ask questions. Well, you know, what are you here for? Why? All that sort of stuff. You, you get to the meat and potatoes in the bottom of it. Um, and you guys are large enough that uh, you're not enticed to sell a gun today. Let's help you. What it is you need. And I love that about you guys, which is why I love working with you guys. Uh, Thank you. But you have the Bass Pros and you have the Cabela's and they're and you know, the, the really big brand names where the actual minimum wage guy working behind a counter is is trying to work towards a bonus of some kind mm-hmm. and building points for SIG or Glock to get a free firearm and all that sort of stuff. So the mm-hmm. our market actually works against doing what's in the best interest of gun owners. But you're right, the small mom and pop shops, and that's one of the reasons why I push folks to AZ Firearms is to support local family owned, because these people, you're kind of assisting your own community. Mm-hmm. You know, reasons why I got into firearms training is because I love doing the tactical Timmy classes, but just as much, I like training the average Joes on the basic stuff because I'm arming my own fellow Americans in my community and helping them be safe because maybe I am at Walmart. Maybe I need backup. Uh, that's what I think about is I'm, I'm forced multiplying our community to make uh, Arizona a safer place to live. That's a good way to think of it. We do that. When I walk with Cheryl and, and my daughter, I feel like I'm better protected because they have my back. Absolutely. You know? And then, you know, here in Arizona, we have what's called constitutional carry. So we have a, a listening audience that's all over the nation, all over the world. And uh, there's a lot of places that in order to conceal you know, carry your firearm concealed, you have to have a special license called a concealed carry license. Uh, Here in Arizona, we can carry it open, we can carry it concealed. We don't have to have that permission slip from the government. But, so you would think that somebody with a a train, okay, why do we need training then if we don't have to have training? Well, because it is a core value for many people, including us as a family and as AZ Firearms. And so we do partner with people like you, David, with your dynamic combative solutions. Uh, and we do pass people along to you and say, please get your training. You're not required to have training, but the best way that we can protect that and not having to have permission slips by the government, it, and the best way for you to protect your family is to get the training. And I don't think you are, uh, I don't think you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs waiting for the next class. You have them lined up just all over the calendar and they're full of students. Am I correct? Um, it's been a little sketch the last couple of months with the election stuff and everything like that going on. But this year has been a fantastic year. Our classes have grown 400% over our first year. Um, we have 15 firearms instructors that work for us. So yeah, we've been teaching CWs all over the Valley. We have our shooting classes going on every weekend. Um, And going back to that CCW, we do have that constitutional carry right, which I'm a big fan of. I mean, I I believe that we, the people are in charge of our government, not the opposite way around. And, but training should be everybody's personal commandment, if you will. Because, you know, David didn't just walk in and stroll in and kill Goliath. He said, blessed be God who trains my hands for battle and my fingers for war. He went in there with training. And we think about him using a slingshot to kill Goliath, okay? That was a steady hand. That was a precisionly aimed shot that he made on the, on the fly. 
in front of the entire military, which psychologically is what destroyed that, that army at that moment. This 12-year-old, 11-year-old boy walking out on the field of battle with a slingshot killed the great and mighty Goliath. You want that same impression if you get into a violent encounter, that if you're facing opposition of five to one and you totally annihilate the first guy with hardly lifting a finger, you want the other four to rethink their exercise about whether or not they want to march forward. And I know there's a lot of people out there who are like, well, I don't know if I could do that. You absolutely can. It may not look like, uh, you know, John Mencina or one of the big guys in the arena, uh, but you're absolutely capable of doing it. Let's figure out what you can do. And let's, because you also need to know your limitations. Uh, maybe you won't be the next tactical Timmy, but if you can get at least to, to this level, you know that you should probably avoid anything that goes above that. Okay, but you got to have that confidence. And the only way you're going to get that confidence is to have it tested in an environment with people who know what to look for that can help you make those choices and decisions. Right. And David, I know that this, this is kind of a uh, not really a good question because it shouldn't matter. But what's it cost for training? I mean, because there's some people that, you know, they just spent $400 for a gun. They really didn't have the money, but they feel they need to be, you know, have protection they do need training and it, um, it does cost money, but can you give an idea of what it costs? Well, I think the first thing that everybody probably should do is get a CCW class so that they understand the law and legal ramifications if you do do it. A lot of people don't realize that they're breaking the law in their everyday lives um, by some of the choices that they make because there's a lot of people out there, ah, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry. And yes, you do. Uh, it's a class six felony in the state of Arizona to have a negligent discharge in your home. So, mm -hmm. Imagine that you're at home, you're cleaning your firearm and you don't have a clearing barrel or something like that. And you do have an excellent discharge and it destroys property or injures a person. You are facing some consequences. Um, you can't shoot an animal to defend your animal. You can't uh, necessarily shoot a person to defend your animal. So these are things that have gotten a lot of people in Arizona uh, in trouble. You can't use deadly physical force to defend your property. So if somebody trying to steal your car in your driveway or simply the act of breaking in your home is not justifiable uh, use for deadly physical force. So you need to learn Arizona laws. If you travel to Oklahoma, you need to know their laws because even though you have our permit, you still have to behave like an Oklahoman and follow their laws when you go there. Uh, so I think that's extremely important. So you're not listening to the internet rhetoric that's out there because there's just a bunch of it. Uh, second to that, I think you just need to kind of set a budget for it because this is a journey, not a destination. You shouldn't have a goal like, well, if I get my permit, then I'm good. Or if I just go to the range once a week, I'm good. You know, decide right now what it is that you want to invest in your budget and start with some of the simple affordable things first. There's lots of great classes out there that start around 50 to $100. Our introductory class is like $125 now because of the recent range increases and stuff. Uh, and that's four hours. Four hours and Cheryl can tell you that even though I might have 10 students, you're going to get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time in that class and you're going to see a noticeable improvement. So this is not an expense, it's an investment. As you get into the higher level classes, cost is going to go up, time is going to go up, your investment in ammunition is going to go up, uh, but you need to broaden your horizons and, uh, you know, take a leap of faith to, to just get out there and, and get some professional firearms training learn what professional firearms training looks like um, and uh, and make a commitment this year to get you know two classes this year under your belt 
So you have six months pre to prepare and practice in between each one. And then I think once you get started, you'll become a junkie and you'll enjoy it. And, uh, you know, just remember that it's a journey. You know, it's, there's no finish line to this. Uh, just like with martial arts, you have to continuously practice what it was you did in class. And so that's why we always send you home with homework so that you mm -hmm. practice what it was you learned in class. Yeah. Right. David, I, can I bring up a point here too? So, you know, it's $100, $150, $125, $150, which is nothing compared to what it could cost you. I, I know an individual uh, that did a discharge in his house. Negligent discharge. Yeah. Um, then like a year later, he did another one. And when he did the second one, he hit, shot somebody in the house. And Not fatally, thank God, but yeah, still, right, right. there was bodily injury. Right. And the reason I bring this up, one, I don't know of him ever having training. Mm -hmm. And two, he spent over $30,000 in legal fees. Mm -hmm. and, wow, you know, that's affordable. And, and, yeah. and <laughs> that is went, affordable in legal fees. Jail. Yeah. And went to jail. Yeah. Then had to wear an ankle bracelet. So yep. what is the cost of training? You know, you, you need the training. It's just like everything else. You need, if you're going to be a responsible gun owner, you have to take training. There is no ifs, ands, and buts. You cannot be a gun owner unless you're responsible. Yeah, like what is the cost of not getting training, I think is is kind of the, right. the moral. Well, and the, the caveat, you know, the, the caveat to that is... Uh, I don't believe that the government should mandate how much training you should need. We don't need the government in our life to regulate what, you know, responsible adults. Okay. That's where we get seatbelt laws and helmet laws. Okay. I don't like those because that gets rid of the, that gets rid of the, the people who should have worn a helmet or worn a seat. Okay. <laughs> or should learn to drive better. So you don't need those things, but we don't need the government to come in and do that. I think, uh, I think, Citizens just need to, to take it to heart that, look, if I'm going to own this, I need to be the best I possibly can with this. Mm -hmm. And I especially when it comes, you know, people ask me all the time, at what age should you start training your kids? Well, you can start teaching them when they're, they're three, the fire and safety rules, just like you do with knives and the stove is hot and stuff like that. You can teach them with words all the way up till they're about six. And then it kind of grows into maturity. Can they physically handle the size firearm? Um, and can they go through all the motions first? You know, training should happen at home in a quiet environment using <laughs> performing all the functions and operations before you take them to a live range and get them acclimated to the noise because you cannot teach them in that environment for the first time with all these distractions going on. That's, that's not the best method for doing it. But I wanna teach the parents how to teach their children. Will I teach your kids? Absolutely. But I'd rather teach you, have the whole family, husband and wife on the same page and have you teach your kids and I will help reinforce it because that's where the best lessons are learned. It's not going to do me any good if I teach the kids and then you don't reinforce with them what it was I taught them. So it has to be a family thing. Everybody needs to be involved when it comes to raising their kids. David, this weekend we went to Williams to ride the train. Yeah. And we got robbed on the train. Okay. You know how they do robbed the, 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 the yeah. cowboys, the bandits. And my granddaughter, she's six. When we got off the train, she goes, Papa, I, I want to, I want a cap gun. And so we went to the gift shop and I bought her a cap gun and some caps before I could get it out of the package. Cheryl was certifying her <laughs> training to handle that gun. And it's great. It's, it's not funny. It's, it's, it's part of life. You know, yeah. if, 
it starts it starts with a stick if you it does have a cap gun well and people have talked about video games before in the past and this is something that i, I talked to my wife about believe it or not I, I believe a lot about what dave grossman says that what you learn in a video game you will apply to real life okay because this is video games is a mental game it's a it's a visual auditory game okay so if i'm out killing zombies with my kids on Call of Duty, I will get a thousand perfect sight pictures for every 500 zombies I kill. Okay, because you actually get a flash sight picture every time you're aiming and, and doing that. But I made a, a choice early on to make sure that my kids play the hero in all of those video games. I made sure to select video games where they were always the hero. I waited until their maturity demonstrated to me that they could handle the, the other style of video games, because I, I do think that we're missing a male component, a male role model component in the home as in America as a society. And I have, I've sort of fostered a lot of kids over the years who were missing that male role because I, I see them struggling, not knowing what it means to be a man and walk forward in life and protect women and, and that sort of thing. And, and boys are hungry for that. They need that strong male role model. They need a little bit of responsibility in their lives to, you know, fluff their peacock feathers so they can put their best foot forward. And they need to learn what honor, integrity, uh, duty to their country and their family and their God is all about. Otherwise, they're wayward and they get into wrong groups with the wrong crowds because they're looking for that social acceptance. Mm. Uh, yeah, so our society as a whole is, you know, very misguided when it comes to like the 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 role of, of males and females in society there there is an equality there but there's also a, a grand separation uh between duties and responsibilities um Absolutely. you've got to have those <laughs> models uh strong family homes uh to raise these kids and put them in the direction that they should go so that they don't stray right when we raised our daughter cheryl did most of it but when we raised our daughter we taught her to be a leader versus a follower and it kind of tends to keep you from getting in trouble when you do that, whether you're following your friends and doing what they do because they do it. Well, you know, what's funny is that she's pretty sassy as well. Like you were saying, your son's asked why you let your daughter be sassy. So <laughs> her name is Cassie. So she is sassy Cassie uh, by design. And I taught her to question authority, but then I realized, oh, wait, that means she's going to question me. Dad, yep. come it. I, I needed to rephrase that a little bit. <laughs> Well, I remember being raised and, you know, always asking my parents questions and the answer to everything was because I said so. Mm. It used to drive me nuts. I mean, yeah. you kids really want to learn. They need training on how to be an adult. I always said this with my wife. Our kids are not kids. Mm -hmm. Our kids are adults in training. And Amen. so we've always did them like adults. We've always included them in adult conversations so they can learn how adults interact. You know, my wife used to get angry at me when they were toddlers and stuff because, you know, I'd come up and snuggle her and kiss her on her neck. She's like, oh, stop. The kids are here. And I was like, no, they need to see that we love each other, mm -hmm. setting the example for them of what a strong relationship looks like. You know, that's true. And it gives them lots of opportunities to go, ew, gross, mom, dad. <laughs> now that. that they're all teenagers, we love, we love <laughs> offending them. Uh, so, yeah, that's a lot. It's a ton of fun. Oh, I love it. So you were talking about uh, with Dynamic Combative Solutions that you have, I think you said 15 different instructors? Yep, with various yep. different backgrounds and current serving or former serving law enforcement, military, competitive shooters, or 
Uh, I've got one gentleman who's an attorney. I've got one gentleman who's just a, co a competitive shooter, uh, just really outstanding because everybody has something that they, they really love and enjoy that you do better than everything else. I, I want them to understand everything we teach and, and learn everything we teach, but there's certain areas that they really excel in and having the variety of personalities uh, helps us be more well-rounded for our students. So it's not just Dave Laird here and Dave Laird there. Uh, I, I want all of them to be uh, professionals at, at what they do. And so you have to know a thing or two about how to vet an instructor because you're vetting people that you are, you know, trusting with your brand name, trusting with your own name out there. So how does the average Joe or Jane, how do they vet an instructor? And I mean, I think they could go to a, a well-respected organization because there's already a level of vetting in there, but what are some of the things they could look for? All right, so big red flags for me is you don't have a website. Mm -hmm. If you're doing this as a profession, whether it's part-time or full-time, I strongly believe that you need to have a website. Just simple social media is not enough, number one, okay? Because mm -hmm. um, I wanna see what you're about. So there should be an, an about section in that website that tells me what your organization is about. It should also tell me what your instructors are about. And so in the instructor credentials, I wanna see how long you've been training, who you've been training with, where you get your certifications and things like that. So if you're not telling me who your company is and who you're about, um, then that's a little sketch. I'm not, I, I know more. Uh, one of the neat things about the NRA credentials, okay? And that's just a starting point. The NRA is not a top tier training organization. They are specifically designed for beginner marksmanship. And that's where their proficiency level ends. But if somebody had an NRA instructor certification, you can go to the NRA website, type in their instructor number and their name and find out whether or not the credentials are still valid. If they suspended mm. or revoked, that's a huge red flag for me. I want to see mm. students. And in the student reviews, I don't want to see, oh man, it was awesome. We had a great time. Me and Betty, we were just so, it was great, blah, blah, blah. No, I want to hear about what you learned. I want to hear about how you were treated. I want to know whether or not the value was there. The money you spent on the class, was it worth it? If, if the testimonials just say, this guy's awesome, he's amazing, we had a fun time, that's scenery. That only tells mm -hmm. the component. When, when, again, when it comes to training, I want to find out whether or not you had an improvement from when you showed up, if you learned from what it was you, that you did when you're there. So I want a, a broader picture of the overall organization um, to see whether or not they have a, a, a vetting thing. And then there's lots of stuff that you're going to see in the, uh, in the class itself, whether or not they, they cover safety, whether or not they have a medical brief, whether or not uh, they have a pre-test, a post-test, are they sending you home with homework, to see whether or not it's a professionally run organization. Um, so there should be goals and objectives to the class. The class that you're looking at, there should be goals and objectives. If it just I don't know if it just talks about well, we're going to go shoot rifles and have a good time. Um, what are you going to learn? I, I want to know ahead of time what it is I'm going to learn, what it is I'm going to improve on. Maybe I already know it, but maybe I'll learn a new method to do it, a new way to apply it, or maybe I'll perfect what it is I already know how to do so that I can leave there performing at a higher level than when I arrived. Absolutely. I, I think that's a, a great um, roadmap for us to be able to start choosing. 
Um, you and I both are on the board of directors of the Arizona Citizens Defense League Foundation that really is about teaching and training and instilling you know, those values in, into the next generation. And um, that's one of the things that I know we're trying to work on in this coming year is, you know, can we build a, a, a website that's already in existence that, but update it so that we are able to offer people a place to go and say, okay, I'm looking for training, but I'm up in Pahrump. You know, I'm yeah. looking for training, but I'm, you know, down in another area of the state and, uh, you know, offer those, like we've sort of maybe pre-vetted a little bit, like, where are we with that? And that's the, the trainmeaz.com website that I'm talking about. Um, well, that, that's two websites, because uh, trainmeaz and then there's the Arizona Citizens Defense League Foundation. So we have two websites that are going to kind of uh, Correct. work together. Um, so fortunately, there's a lot of great firearms instructors here in Arizona. I mean, you can throw a rock in any direction. I think it's important that um, all of them are able to advertise and market on those websites. I have all that information available. And I also, part of my vetting process when I hear about a new instructor is to reach out to other instructors and find out who's heard about them. Because another good thing about, uh, vetting your instructors, making sure that they've attended training recently and with who. Uh, so they didn't mm. vacations like mm. two and they're still teaching the same thing. You want to see that they're still regularly taking classes with other instructors and that you're trying to continue their education. Um, so right away, when I reach out to my community of instructors here in Arizona and ask them, hey, have you guys ever heard of this? They're like, oh yeah, I took a class with him. It was awesome. It's great. He's a good guy. He's got a good heart. Those are all things that we're looking for is that they have credentials, that they've got a good heart and that they're, they're doing by their students. I mean, our community on the, on the instructor side, I think is, is very good in the sense that uh, we just want to, we want to know the intentions of your heart. Are you doing this to get rich quick or are you genuinely doing it because you have a passion for it and you want to help people learn? You may not be awesome at it yet because maybe you're new at it and you're just getting your business started and, you know, there's lots of hurdles there, but if your, your heart is in the right place, then we'll all support you. We'll all send students to you especially when you live in the outlying areas like, you know, Yuma or Tucson or, or Payson or Prescott or whatever. So that's a real good thing about our community. And so we'll have no trouble uh, reaching out to them and letting them know that when we have that live, that they can get their stuff listed uh, on both of those websites. So we're, we're still working on the backend website portion of all that. Absolutely. And, you know, I've actually met very few, but I have met a trainer or two that does it for their own ego. And that is never a good combination. If you have a brand new person who's super, you know, eager to learn and just wanting to soak up every little thing. And then you have this ego driven instructor It's so bad. It's just the worst combination. Um, and you are a trainer. So I won't ask you to comment on that because I don't well, want to I've, slam I've any of David, your, I've seen David do their class. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've seen 25, maybe 20, 25 people. And I talked to the students after they got out of their class. And we he had brand new, never even owned a gun yet to come to the class. And he's had experienced people that have been around guns for a long time. And not one single person walked out of that room without learning something. Mm -hmm. So good for you. Well, and that's, that's where, you know, having the, the right 
intentions of your heart. I mean, you mentioned earlier about how I vet instructors to be and represent our brand and stuff like that. Uh, out of the gate, they have to pass the Arizona Police Officer Standardized Test with 240 or higher. The instructor level for PD is 230 or higher. So I already require a higher, because I think it's kind of a, a subpar test. Uh, we require that you can pass the FBI shooting qualification, which is a pretty dicey test. And then I want to see that they have all of their NRA credentials because that is the, the very basic foundation of credentials. And then we require that they do 60 hours of additional training each year. And so most people, when they're trying to learn and, and uh, they have to apprentice with this for about a year to learn all of our courses and learn how we operate and function, most guys that don't have the intentions of the heart never even never even start. They turn mm -hmm. away for it. And then there's other folks who are like, that sounds amazing. I'm going to learn so much working mm -hmm. as being part of your team. And I can't wait to help students. So our vetting process right away sends most guys running. Like, I don't want to invest all that in you and your brand. I'm already top tier secret squirrel ninja. Um, what am I going to learn from you? Um, yeah. So yeah, ego, ego definitely plays a part in this realm of stuff. And uh, I think a lot of the, the big name egos will probably be retiring soon nationwide. And that's gonna leave a, a vacuum or a void for a lot of these new companies uh, who are up and coming. And uh, my primary concern of course, is just right here in Arizona, being the best training company that we can be here in Arizona for our Valley residents. And once we get this up off the ground and, and moving in uh, where I want it to be, then we can start the expansion into uh, the outer parts of Arizona and possibly the, the neighboring states. We've got to do a, a lot of traveling this year to Kansas and Colorado and Texas uh, for various stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that we do that's not on the website, training church security, training uh, law enforcement, military, and the private sector. Uh, we, have a, we have some groups that fly in from around the United States and outside the country to come train with us, which is super awesome, you know? And I feel privileged when those people reach out to me and say, hey, Dave, we wanna do X, Y, or Z, can you help us with that? I'm like, man, I would love to, heck yeah. Um, that's that's kind of difficult to, and, and I hate talking about myself. I hate throwing my resume out there because it's, it's a long resume. There's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a three ring binder that's this thick. I want to talk for. I mean, I, I hate talking about me. I want to talk about you. What can we help you do? Absolutely. No, I, I get that. And, and that comes through as just a natural humility. Um, and I think that is one of the, the key components of any good teacher or instructor is you're more curious about others than you are eager to, you know, impart. Well, I, can, I can tell you, I've learned more from students than I ever have attending any instructor credential class or any course from anybody else. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, when my students come and they tell me about their specific need or their specific desire or their specific firearm or the application or the, their difficulty in learning, yeah. forces me to, to think outside the box to help them achieve what it is that they're doing. And that's where my gratification comes from, is solving mm -hmm. And helping them solve the problem, but it's something that the two of us, me and the student, work on together, and that's that's where I'm like, woohoo, I did it! <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I thought Dan had something to say. No. I'm looking at you. Um, so we're going to start wrapping up, but you are going to be one of our speakers this year at our Celebrate and Protect Your Rights uh, event rally. 
uh, at the uh, Arizona State Capitol on Saturday, February 20th from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, hopefully, either COVID won't come along to spoil our plans or some of this other craziness that, uh, you know, is going on that's making people afraid to, to get together and meet together because some people did some, you know, uh, not great things at our United States Capitol. Um, but we have always had a family-friendly, very fun, very celebratory um, event, and that's what's planned for this year. Why would you say that it's important for us to have these kinds of get-togethers and events and gatherings? You know, I, I remember attending some of these rallies and stuff since my childhood at the Arizona State Capitol. Um, I think that it's important for Arizona residents, if they truly want to protect their Second Amendment rights, their Constitution, their First Amendment rights, they need to physically be present. Uh, on that particular day to help show our local elected leaders how much our community, our state enjoys our constitution, not just our federal constitution, but our state constitution and our Bill of Rights, state Bill of Rights, as well as our, our national Bill of Rights. Because I don't think our legislators understand that they work for the people. They need to see the size of their, their group who is specifically saying, do not touch or infringe on these specific rights because we're here, we're involved, we're present. I think anybody who is gonna turn around the day after that rally and complain about anything our legislators are trying to do, better go home and, and just rethink their life in general if they weren't present that particular day at the rally. Because if you're not actively involved in your government, then be prepared for your government to tell you what you can or cannot do. Amen. That's so and you can't complain on the sideline. So true. So true. All right. Well, how do people reach out to you? How do they find you? How do they train with you? Um, give us all the, the details on, on how we stay in touch with you. Uh, one of the best ways is to go to our website, uh, www.dcs.training. Um, so I think I'm one of the first groups that got a dot training website, which I'm stoked about. Um, you can also check us out on Facebook under Dynamic Combative Solutions. We're now on MeWe as Dynamic Combative Solutions, Freedom Lake as Dynamic Combative Solutions, Parlor when it comes back up. Uh, so we're on virtually every social media platform. You can check us out on YouTube and all of our social media links are at the bottom of our, uh, website. So you can click on all of those and we're updating and adding more of those as well. Cause not only are we on YouTube, but now we're jumping onto, I've got everything uploaded on rumble. Uh, this past week has been a huge week and a half has been a huge switch from one social media to another, uh, to make ourselves more visible. Uh, because we want to make sure that we're on the platforms that support our First Amendment rights. Absolutely. David Laird, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. David Laird of the Dynamic Combative Solutions, and we look forward to hearing your thoughts at the Celebrate and Protect Your Rights rally on February 20th. Well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to seeing you guys again. Uh, take Absolutely. it easy. Thanks, Dave. Thank, Thank you. you. God bless. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. He, uh, he's amazing. He really <clears throat> is. I mean, he's just a good friend.
He's a great person. He's a great dad, a great husband. Um, and from having trained with him out on the range, I can say he, um, he's a, a great instructor. He's very intuitive and very tapped into each individual person, um, what their particular needs are. The silly thing is like, you took a gun out of the showcase mm -hmm. and took it to um, get training. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things you don't think about mm -hmm. that, oh, wait, it has to be sighted in. Yeah. And, you know, sights might fit different for you than it would be somebody else. So it's not like you can buy a gun out of the box and it's ready to go. Yeah, so true. And you don't think about stuff like that. So, again, that's in that training thing. Absolutely. All right. We have got to wrap up and get out of here. But holy cow, thank you so much to our guest today, David Laird of Dynamic Combative Solutions. Thank you so much to our listeners, to each and every one of you out there who are taking these conversations and, and bringing them to your dinner tables and your carpools and, you know, all the spheres of influence that you have out there to keep the conversation going. Uh, that's really where the rubber meets the road. And we, we so value you and appreciate that. And until next time, please, please pray for our nation. Pray for our representatives. Representatives. Absolutely. Our public servants. Our leaders, you know, there are people in our lives who are our leaders, right? We want to pray for them as well. They might not be that same, you know, might not be our representatives, probably aren't our leaders, um, but some, maybe some are. So if aliens came down from planet Zula and said, Cheryl, take us to your leader, who would that leader be? Because <laughs> um, we don't have leaders. Yeah. Oh, I'd say, I'd say, you know what? You looked us up wrong, guy. We don't have leaders. Yeah. We have representatives. It's a good point. It's a very good so we point. We don't have leaders. Okay. Like, take it to Great Britain's leader. So so pray for all of these representatives. Representatives. Are they yeah. really representing you? See, that's a hard word to use too. But even the ones you don't like. All of them. All of them. All Especially of them. the ones you don't like. Right. Have a great week. Be good to each other. And God bless. Bye-bye.